welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. This will be a special edition, of course, because of the condensed schedule that Bayern Munich has. We are going to combine the preview show with our normal weekend warm-up wackiness and give you guys uh, the best perspective we can offer on what's going on with Bayern Munich ahead of its big match this weekend against Wolfsburg, and also some assessments of what's going on with the team, the transfer window, and much, much more. So we're going to blow out our normal format. We're not going to do the five things that we learned this week, but we're going to jump right into the preview, and let's get right to it, because Bayern Munich needed a victory badly in the Day Bay Pokal against Mainz, and they got that in the form of a 4-0 win. Last weekend, Byron, of course, struggled once again as they earned a 1-1 draw with Eintracht Frankfurt. It was typical of what we had seen of Byron Munich up to this point. So being able to come back just a couple of days later and get that win over Mainz was extremely important. And I think every Byron, Byron fan could really <laughs> relate to the sense of relief that everyone on that squad must have felt when they came out and played that well against Mainz. But as we always do, let's take a look at where both teams are in the table. We'll take a look at what's going on with them, some of the interesting comments that were made, and much, much more. So uh, Bayern Munich, of course, is sitting at first place in the table through 18 match days. Ten wins, seven draws, one loss for 37 points. They have scored 52 goals and only allowed 16 In their last five matches, Bayern Munich has two wins and three draws in the Bundesliga. Of course, since the restart, Bayern has earned draws in all three matches, which of course has frustrated the hell out of many Bayern fans, probably some club executives and also players on the team. So Bayern was able to pick things up with a midweek victory over Mainz in the DFB Pokal, which I have to say... Normally, you don't want to put too much emphasis on one match, but it was extremely important that Bayern Munich was able to come out and not just win, but be dominant in doing so. And uh, to me, you know, you don't want to overstate anything. And again, Mainz is not exactly a powerhouse this season, but for all intents and purposes, it was a must-win match for Bayern Munich. And I think that Julian Nagelsmann felt a ton better after that. The squad itself had to feel like there was a huge weight lifted off of its shoulders. So uh, I'm sure most fans were ecstatic with the result. As for Wolfsburg, they have been a resurgent team under former Bayern Munich manager Nico Kovac. They are currently sitting in seventh place of the table through 18 match days, they have eight wins, five draws, five losses for 29 points. That puts them four points ahead of Borussia Mönchengladbach, who is in eighth place, and just three points behind Eintracht Frankfurt, who is sitting in sixth place. Of course, that sixth place uh, would be a qualification for the Europa Conference League. So we are sure that Wolfsburg wants to make it back to Europe next season. And Nico Kovac is doing a pretty good job in ensuring that they get there. Uh, So let's take a look at where they are. In the last five Bundesliga matches, Wolfsburg is 4-1. Of course, last week they lost 2-1 to Werder Bremen in what most people would consider an upset. Uh, Werder Bremen's not a terrible team this season, but Wolfsburg had been rolling, and it looked like they had turned officially turned the corner into being a real contender for a top-six position. Unfortunately for them, they had a little bit of a letdown against Werder Bremen, and that letdown continued in the team's 
midweek matchup in the day of Pokal. They lost a 2-1 match to Union Berlin. Uh, Union, of course, has been uh, very good this season, so that's not too much of a shock. But for Wolfsburg, this has been uh, a campaign that's been all about building back up getting back into that upper echelon of the Bundesliga. And I think Nico Kovac is doing that. Now, what we know about Kovac is he's got some communication issues when it comes to how he works with his team. He's got some really quirky training methods and things like that, that if the team does not buy into can really be alienating. And we also know that he has a little bit of trouble in managing the personalities on some teams. And he had a a great deal of problems uh, with Bayern Munich, including the infamous hashtag Miami Knights fiasco, which has gone down in the lore of BFW as one of the craziest stories that we have ever heard. And of course, the hashtag Miami Knights fiasco was when uh, the team was in America for the uh, International Champions Cup and Nico Kovac wanted them to all stay in the hotel and get rested for their upcoming matches. And of course, the team rebelled and went out and some of the key veterans like Rafinha were leading the charge and it actually influenced some of the younger players to follow suit. So right off the bat with Bayern Munich, he kind of lost control and that was a terrible sign. But through all of his work, not just at Bayern Munich, but also uh, with Monaco and now at Wolfsburg, I would think that Kovac has really evolved as a coach, not just with his tactics but also in how he manages players. And of course, at Wolfsburg, he's not going to have the same type of personalities and egos that he dealt with at Bayern Munich. So if he has a squad that will buy into what he is selling, I think Nico Kovac can be extremely successful. And we saw him do that, not just with Eintracht Frankfurt, but also with Monaco. In both of those instances, he had players on the team that were in on what he wanted them to do. There was not as much bickering. There was not as much questioning of him. In fact, he probably would still be at AS Monaco, if not for some disagreements that were going on in the sporting side. And I think that uh, the sporting director there and the executives there wanted to have a little more control. They wanted to have a little more say over the team. And it just was not a fit any longer for Nico Kovac. I think he's done a really good job everywhere he's been. Even at Bayern Munich, when things flamed out at the end, uh, it wasn't as if they were a bad team. He had just lost the team. So at Wolfsburg, I don't know that he'll have to deal with the personality clashes that he had, but he he is a coach that can whip a team into shape, not just physically, but strategically and tactically on the pitch. And I think he will have Wolfsburg as a top six team. If not this season, the next season, they need a little more firepower, a little more stability on defense, but they are poised and ready to become one of the clubs that could, if they invest a little bit of money, be a contender for not just Europe, but a Champions League spot. You know, right now, Bayern Munich, RB Leipzig and Dortmund are pretty much all shoe-ins. Uh, every season for three of the four Champions League spots, which leaves that last spot there open for teams like Union Berlin, SC Freiburg, Eintracht Frankfurt, and Wolfsburg to really all stake a claim to it. And I think that with Bayer Leverkusen on the rise, Gladbach going through some things, but always still managing to be competitive, you know, it's a very good version of the Bundesliga, this team. So I don't want to discount what Nico Kovac is doing. I think he's doing a pretty fantastic job here with Wolfsburg and he'll have the team ready to play. I just don't think they have anywhere near the depth 
or the talent level to compete with Bayern over the course of a season. Now for one match, can they do it? Absolutely. But I don't think it's going to happen this week. I think they're hitting a little bit of a wall at a time when Bayern is starting to rebound. It's just a bad matchup. And to add some spice into this matchup, Kovac himself had some uh, choice comments this week at his press conference for the day of by Pokal match against Union Berlin, where he indicated it's probably tougher to play in Berlin these days than in Munich, which a lot of people did not put too much weight into it. And I don't think he was really trying to stoke a fire, but I think he was pointing out something that a lot of people were thinking that Bayern Munich is not at its best right now and that they're vulnerable. And with that vulnerability, clubs like Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt and Union Berlin can go in to Bayern's house and think they have a chance. Now there have been absolutely some seasons in the, in the past where Those teams set foot on the pitch, and you can tell by looking at them, they know they can't compete. They're set up in a way where they're just trying to absorb punishment and survive rather than trying to win. And I think Kovac, by what he did in making those statements, was one, try and and pump his team up to get excited, not just for the Bayern match, but to also let his team know You cannot look past Union Berlin to the weekend. This is a legitimate team. They are a good team and they will be tough. And, you know, I think that proved to be true as they were able to push aside Wolfsburg. Uh, One of the the key things for Kovac in making this statement, aside of just pumping his team up, it was going to be how this statement was perceived by Bayern Munich. And, of course, Joshua Kimmich referenced it in his post-game comments after the Mainz match where he indicated they had heard them and that his former coach was doing some talking. So the Byron boys are clearly taking it as an insult, even though some people did not, some fans, especially ones on our blog, did not think it was a, a personal type thing or that Kovac was throwing any shade at Byron. And like I said, I don't think he was trying to uh, throw bar major barbs at them, but I do think he was making the point that everyone thinks at this stage of the season and that Bayern Munich's vulnerable. So, uh, you know, Kimmich was not going to take that kindly. And you can imagine some of the other veterans on the Bayern Munich squad are also going to uh, have a little bit more jump in their step for this match. Of course, not all of them had a great relationship with Kovac, uh, especially Thomas Muller, for one, as as Muller often found the bench in Kovac's second season there, uh, which ultimately was uh ended up being the treble season because Hansi Flick was able to step in and totally rejuvenate the squad, including Thomas Muller. So yeah, I think Kovac's comments are going to play a role in this. I think they're going to fire up Bayern Munich a little bit. And you might always say like, these guys don't read the newspapers. They're not reading blogs. They're not checking Twitter for this stuff. No, they are. (laughs) What you don't know about some athletes is they are some of the most thin skinned people on earth. So when anything is said that could remotely be considered bulletin board material, uh, these guys read it, they hear it, their friends are telling them, and they take it personally. And part of that mentality is why they're so successful. And no matter how many times they tell you, I don't read the newspapers, I don't listen to the media, I don't listen to the radio, I don't listen to Bavarian podcast works, I assure you, they are doing some of those things. Maybe not listening to Bavarian podcast works, but you get the point. So I think Bayern Munich will be ready. And I think that this is going to be an interesting match for Julian Nagelsmann as well. I don't know that Niko Kovac and Nagelsmann have a terrific relationship. I don't know that it's a bad relationship, but I kind of got the impression over the course of time, there might be some tension there. 
especially because Nagelsmann was really linked to Bayern Munich uh, at some point being the coach there when Kovac was was at the helm. So uh, I think there's a little bit of something there between them. But, uh, you know, I don't think that will come into play. So as for how Bayern Munich will line up, this is a <laughs> this is a loaded question because every week it's tough to predict how Julian Nagelsmann will put his boys out there. But now we have the <laughs> the possibility that we could be using or seeing Bayern Munich use a back three system, which throws a whole wrench into how I usually predict these uh, lineups. I mean, typically we'll know if it's a four, two, three, one or four, triple two, like we'll know how, how uh, Nagelsmann is going to set his team up, who some of the hot players are, who is trending toward a start and all of that. But now with the team coming off of a crazy winter transfer window, the team having some it really imbalances at certain positions in terms of the volume of players, it seems like Nagelsmann is going to at least experiment on a short-term basis with this back three. So for all intents and purposes, I'm going to predict this lineup as a back three, even though clearly Nagelsmann could change his mind and go right back to a four, two, three, one, but let's, let's just for giggles, assume it's going to be a back three, which I know will infuriate. I need no name and some others on BFW who are the uh, anti back three mafia uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, so I will go with Jan Sommer in net as always. I think he'll pretty much be a standard there. I don't know how much of Sven Ulreich we'll see. Uh, maybe if Sommer gets banged up, we'll see Ulreich step in. But uh, I think as of now, we'll be seeing a strict diet of Sommer because he just needs to continue to get acclimated with this team and work on the communication and relationship building with that back line. And as for the back line, I think we will see a redo or a redux of the back three and that will include Dio Upamakano, Matthijs De Ligt and Benjamin Pavar operating as three center backs. Uh, as for the wing backs, we did see Kingsley Coman start as a wing back uh, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday against Mainz. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't think we're going to see that again. Uh, as much fire as Alfonso Davies has been under, and there have been some stories about him this week. Uh, I think we'll see Davies reprise his role on the left side, and he will operate as a left wing back. We'll see Yao Cancelo get another start at right wing back. So this will be interesting to watch because both of them love to get up in the play. Both of them uh, can be reckless in abandoning their defensive responsibilities. So it's going to be a lot of weight on that back line of Ubamakano, Delict, and Pavar. They're going to have to be really disciplined they're going to have to have good coverage and they are going to have to communicate because if Davies and Cancelo are both up in the play and they both leave their responsibilities behind them, which I fully anticipate them doing, Wolfsburg is going to identify that quickly and, and try and get those quick counters out. So uh, we'll see how that tandem operates. At least we'll see if if it, my prediction comes true. Uh, I just think that Davies, you know, coming on, scoring a goal, uh, like he did impacting the game. And also, you know, with those stories that are out there about him, I think Nagelsmann's going to want to get him out there. Now, if Davies does not start, it's going to send me the message that some of the stuff that's out there is true and that the club is having issues with Davies and how he's playing lately and, and him being unfocused. And that's something that we'll cover in a little bit. 
But it's also something I've been saying here for a couple of weeks. Davies just has not looked the same. He has plateaued in his development. And you have to wonder why. So we'll, we'll attack that in a little bit. But as for this match, we'll see Davies and Cancelo at the wingback positions. At least that's what I think. Uh, I believe Yashua Kimmich is probably going to operate in the central midfield and potentially by himself. Uh, it, it's It's a very odd setup that Julian Nagelsmann is working here. And one of the reasons it's odd is because Yashua Kimmich is is really at points by himself in the central midfield. Now he does, he has had help as Jamal Musiala uh, was able to, to drop back a little bit deeper at times, but you know, Musiala is an attacker. He is going to absolutely uh, want to be up there and in involved in the offense. And it, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, Kimmich quite often is going to be that last line of defense in front of the fa- in front of the back line, and he'll have a lot more responsibility on him if Nagelsmann continues to use this formation. But if he does not, uh, we could see uh, Leon Goretzka come back into the mix. But for now, I, I think that Nagelsmann liked what he saw out of his formation, which it was really tough to identify even exactly what he was doing. I mean, in some respects, you could call it a three, five, two, you could call it a three, one, four, two. There were a lot of different options there for what you could reference it as, but I kind of saw it as a three, one, four, two, uh, or a three, one, uh, three, one, four, one. I don't know. I got lost in the translation there, but either way, I think that this is, Something that Nagelsmann is going to experiment with. We saw him use back three based formations at Arbe Leipzig. And I think it's something that he could definitely evolve to with Bayern Munich, which again will infuriate some of the BFW folks around. Uh, so with Kimmich Manning, the central midfield, I think we will see Musiala and Leroy Sané operating in front of him as dual attacking midfielders. Of course, if someone needs to drop back and help Kimmich, it will be Musiala. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Musiala has got a very variable role in this type of formation. Uh, Nagelsmann wants to get him back in scoring. And as we saw against Mainz, he was able to do that. But uh, there are also some defensive responsibilities that are going to have to be accounted for at some point. But for now, I think you'll see more of an attacking focus, Jamal Musiala, and he'll be working with Roy Sané, who will be playing a little bit more centrally than I think many people are used to seeing him do. But uh, he's done it in the past and he's done fairly well at it. So uh, he's absolutely one of Bayern Munich's best 11 right now. And if this is how Nagelsmann needs to get him on the pitch, then I think that's what he'll do. And of course, up top of the formation, I think we will see Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting, who, again, he had a great game against Mines. Is he the long-term answer at the position for Bayern Munich? Not in my opinion, but if he continues to have games like he did against Mines, he he might be. Uh, Next to him will be Thomas Muller because Muller is, continues to prove that if you take him off the pitch, it does hurt the squad. As for a prediction, I think we're going to see more offensive fireworks from Bayern Munich. I still think, you know, they will be susceptible to counters. And if we've seen Kovac operate in the past against Bayern Munich, his teams can live on those counters against Bayern. If we see Cancelo and Davies get too far upfield, if we leave Kimmich, if we see Kimmich left, 
uh, as the sole protector in the midfield in front of the back line, I think we could see uh, Kovac really deploy some of those same tactics to try and get his team off. But I think Byron will win 3-1. As you know, that's a pretty standard prediction for me. I see a lot of games involving Bayern Munich as 3-1, but this is one of those where I think Bayern will have the advantage. They're going to continue to play well. It's really just a matter of how Nagelsmann deploys them and what formation he uses. That's really all I'm uh, I'm questioning about my predictions right now. I have no idea what Nagelsmann is planning to do with that. But I think that the back three intrigued him, and I think the success that the team had in deploying it uh, has really is really got his mind working that this could be something he should look at moving forward. So that will about do it for the preview, and we will move on to some of the more normal weekend warm-up type topics that we usually hit. And one of those, of course, and this was a big week, as the winter transfer window closed. And for Bayern Munich, you have to really look at what they did. And let's first look at the arrivals. Of course, once Manuel Neuer went down, Bayern went out and they got Jan Sommer after weeks of speculation. They got him at a at a very reasonable 8 million euro fee, according to Transfer Marked. And what can you say about Sommer? He's been very good so far. And he is the best available goalie that was or goalkeeper that was there i mean he he was the man to get and byron was able to do that so to me that is an a plus move uh byron munich was also able to get daily blend who can play just about anywhere he can play anywhere along the back line and also as a defensive midfielder at 32 he's not a spring chicken anymore he came from ajax but he was a free transfer and his versatility and his experience make him a very valuable resource. And as we saw him do against Mainz when he subbed in on Wednesday, we saw a very, very good effort uh, where I think that he was able to show that he can come in and he is his vision is still great. He's able to, to make those passes that that Bayern needs from its defenders. And I think that's one of the things that over the years maybe – uh, you forget about Byron's old back line is that Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng and Nicholas Sula, they could all make those long dynamic passes to get the forwards engaged and skip over the midfield occasionally. And it was a good weapon to have. And I think Blind can offer some of that. And I think it was a great pickup. Listen, he's not going to win you the Champions League probably, but he is the type of player that you need on a team. So again, I give that move an A because He's versatile. He provides depth at a number of spots and, and he's still got some talent. So that was a genius move in my mind. And listen, I've not always been a fan of Brazo's moves and I've criticized him at times. I've lauded him at times, but I think those two summer and blend were just fantastic. Uh, one of the unheralded moves that I think uh, we talked about at BFW, but didn't get a lot of play elsewhere. Uh, Arian Ibrahimovic was inked to a professional contract so while that ne- not wasn't necessarily a transfer move it should be noted that that was more good business that Bayern did within the window the other addition that Bayern Munich made during this winter transfer window was of course the last minute uh move for Jao Cancelo who came from Manchester City and of course he has already been able to show what he can do on the pitch he's got great offensive ability I would say I'm a little worried about how he looks defensively when paired with other 
wing backs or outside backs uh, on the Bayern Munich roster, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, again, great move. It's reportedly not costing Bayern Munich anything in terms of a fee, but instead Bayern will pick up his salary, which uh, it's a great move. The one uh, caveat that I think you could say about this is there is rumored to be a 70 million euro or so uh, buy-on option for Cancelo. And I think that Bayern Munich will absolutely, regardless of what happens and how he performs, I, I think they're going to uh, try and work this out with Man City either way. We know that Cancelo is, one, he has been on Bayern Munich's radar for at least three years. Two, he was one of the the players that Julian Nagelsmann put on a list and gave to Brazo and said, can we get this guy? Uh, listen, if he's got the backing of the club and he's got a manager who wants him, I think Bayern's going to try and work with City to get this done. I don't know what number gets it done, but we have seen reports that Benjamin Pavar is probably going to be sold during the summer. And some of that money that will be earned from a sale of Pavar could be used and put toward uh, an acquisition of Cancelo on a permanent basis. Uh, the one departure that Bayern Munich had, and it was a loan agreement with Manchester United, was seeing midfielder Marcel Sabitzer move on, at least for the rest of this season, though I would say there's a very good chance if Sabitzer has a, a good run of form with United that they will make a play to try and keep him as well. At the at a very minimum, if Sabitzer goes there and performs well and he comes back to Bayern Munich, I think uh, the market will be even greater for him and the club will look to sell him either way. I, I don't think with Conrad Leimer incoming and Ryan Gravenberg complaining and the existence of Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka that there is any type of future for Marcel Sabitzer on Sabiner Strasse. And to me, that's a little bit disappointing because I had a lot of high hopes for Sabitzer. And I can tell you that when he came in and had trouble adjusting, he just couldn't get his feet underneath him last season. It was very, very disappointing. Uh, I, you know, as many Bundesliga fans did, we watched him at RB Leipzig and he was a fantastic player. The one thing that I had said from the beginning uh, about that move was, you know, mentally, how would Sabitzer handle no longer being the man? And obviously, it was very difficult for him to do. And whether he would admit that or not, when you are a star player and then you have to come to a bigger club than where you're at and take a back seat, you're not getting the playing time you think you deserve, uh, you're not performing at the level that you know you can, it's disappointing. And it obviously could form a mental block for a player that that caused him to not just not reach his potential, but even shut down a little bit. He he just was not good last season. But to his credit, he came back and had a just a fantastic, what in my mind, 2022-2023 season with Bayern Munich so far. I mean, he I thought he was great in the Hinronda. Uh, he had done some things within his game to assimilate to Bayern Munich that he had not done last year. And I thought he did everything he needed to do to prove himself. And, uh, you know, in my mind, you could have made a strong argument that the team was better when he was working with Joshua Kimmich than when Leon Gretzka came back and took over. Either way, it doesn't matter now, as he will be playing for Manchester United. I know that I'll be watching pretty closely what he's doing. I'm very interested to see how he does there. And I'm rooting for him because I want him to do well and I want him to be at a place where he's going to succeed mostly because he came to Bayern Munich as a star, got caught up in in the mess of trying to get field time when there just wasn't much available. But he always kept his mouth shut. 
He didn't complain publicly. He showed up at work every day and was grinding, which is, you know, honestly, way more than you can say for a lot of players that we saw at Bayern Munich over the years. The not complaining thing, we've seen Goretzka and Gravenberg both complain of late. You know, when it when it comes to showing up for work, when you don't feel like you have an opportunity to start, James Rodriguez was the poster boy for how not to do things at Bayern Munich, showing up late, complaining about the weather, complaining about not starting. You know, I, there was a million things that James did there. And of course, like I know that's an open wound for some of you. Um, of course, I was uh, accused many times of being a James hater, but uh, really like, you know, like anyone else, I wanted to see him succeed. The bottom line, though, is he was a big baby when he was at Bayern Munich. Uh, and, you know, I've been accused of saying some of the same things about Gravenberg. But to me, a young player, you need to keep your head down. If you have issues, you need to go to the coaches or the club. First the coaches and then maybe Brazo, as he's the one that brought you in. But you cannot go to the media. You cannot go to the media twice. It's unacceptable for any young player, for any player, really, if they're not having these kinds of discussions. And, yeah, I know there were extenuating circumstances. And Nagelsmann indicated he might start last weekend. And, and Gravenberg was disappointed. But guess what? This is the big leagues. Uh, things like this are going to happen. You're on a team full of great players. It's your first year. You are one of the least experienced players on the squad you shouldn't have expectations that you're going to develop into a starting role. Now, does that mean I don't want to see Gravenberg playing more? No, of course you want to see the kid get some minutes. I want to see all these kids get minutes. I want to see Paul Vonner, and I want to see Arian Ibrahimovic, and I want to see Tarek Buckman. I want to see all those kids get minutes. It's not probably not going to happen. And that's you know one of the gaps that I've seen in Bayern Munich over the years with their youth development. They cannot find a way to give these kind of kids the requisite amount of field time they need to develop on the first team. And Gravenberg, for all of his complaining, it probably helped grease the pathway for Sabitzer to have to leave because I think that the club became a little bit afraid that Gravenberg was going to become so unhappy that he might leave uh, or at least request to leave during the summer. So Sabitzer, for everything that he had to go through, going back to him, uh, you know, we want to see him have some success because the most you can look for now, given Byron's current situation in the central midfield, is that you have to hope he can perform well to get his value up so that someone will pay Byron Munich a pretty penny for him in the summer. So if I had to grade the overall transfer window for Byron Munich, looking at the acquisitions of Summer Blind Cancelo and then the departure of Sabitzer, which I should say comes with a little bit of risk because he was the steady presence that maybe they don't have any more behind Kimmich and Goretzka. I would say this was a solid A uh, across the board. Uh, very good work by Brazo, very good communication between Brazo and Nagelsmann and Marco Nupp and trying to get everything set up in a way that they could give this particular club uh, the best pathway moving forward to compete for the Champions League. The one I would say weakness in terms of the window and, to be honest, it's a, it was a, it was a weakness that really couldn't be helped. I would have loved to have seen them go out and get a top flight striker. There was no one realistically available. So I didn't knock Bayern Munich any points for not walking away with, you know, Dusan Vlahovic or someone. Those types of players were not going to be available. So, you know, barring Robert Lewandowski begging FC Barcelona to get let him go back to Bayern or Erling Haaland deciding 
you know, mid-season he wanted to leave City, which was never going to happen. You know, there were no realistic options for Bayern Munich to significantly improve at that position right now. But we'll see what happens in the summer with that. But Brazo gets an A from me. Uh, I'd be very curious to see what you guys think of what Brazo did during this winter transfer window. Uh, Because, I mean, in my mind, he literally did as good as he possibly could. He got the exact kind of players that the club needed. Uh, One of the other big topics this week, and we we hit on it briefly, was what's going on with Alfonso Davies. So in my mind, and I'm rehashing some of the stuff I said over recent weeks, he hasn't looked like he's made much progress in his own game. It looked like he's plateaued a bit. His, he has been really lax about some of his defensive responsibilities, been sloppy on the ball. I have not liked the way he has played this season. Does that mean I don't like him as a player? No, I think he's a fantastic player. He is a kid who, despite maybe some recent struggles, is still his ceiling is so high. And I think what's important to remember when you see stories like this come out where, you know, there are people at the club who allegedly think he's been unfocused and unfit, which is crazy to think about. But when you talk when you see unfocused as a reference point in in, in an article about a player, I think it's one of these things that young players go through. Uh, and you remember, this is a kid who had a very public breakup, which is crazy to even think most people care about what these athletes are doing in their relationships. But he had a very public breakup this year. He has been thrown around in transfer rumors with many Premier League teams and also Real Madrid. So there's a distraction there. And, and again, when these players tell you that they don't hear those things, they absolutely do. And he's got an agent who's working those angles as well. So you've got this kid going through. Uh, a breakup of a long-term relationship. He has been linked to other clubs. He goes to the World Cup and is pretty good, but maybe didn't play as well as I think uh, some had hoped for uh, in Canada. I mean, I was good, don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, there were obviously some really high hopes for that Canadian team. And when you're the most high-profile player on the team, you probably shoulder a little bit of the blame when things don't go exactly how people thought they would. So there was a lot to me going on with Davies. He had some injuries he was working through as well. And I just think over the course of the past couple of seasons, he has relied on that same style of play that made him so successful back in the treble season. He is a great attacker from the left back position. He can see great things. He is a threat at all times charging down that wing. Right now, he's been asked to to come a little further inside. I think that's taken a little bit away from his game. I think he has been very sloppy on the ball. Some of his decision-making hasn't been great. Uh, And and we've seen like some Bayern players absolutely struggle with that. Thomas Muller, I thought, with some of his decisions that he had been making prior to hitting the bench at the beginning of the restart, you know, I didn't think he closed out the Hinrunda before he got injured in, in the best possible way. But regardless, Alfonso Davies, I felt like definitely had some struggles. And I, I feel like he hasn't progressed at the rate that, that many people thought he would. Now, as I've stated many times, the minute you throw around any criticism at Davies, people are ready to jump down your throat. But you have to understand, the young players that go through this, it doesn't mean that when you point it out that you're not a fan of them. It doesn't mean that you doubt their overall ability it's just trying to call it how you see it. And just like when Thomas Muller was scuffling or just like when Robert Lewandowski was pouting at times under Nagelsmann when he couldn't get the ball, 
if Alfonso Davies is not playing up to his ability, we're going to call it out. And I don't think he has. So to me, when I saw the story break this week about Davies being unfocused, I wasn't really all that shocked. The only thing that was shocking is that there was anybody at Bayern Munich that was thinking the same way I was. Uh, because I had been talking about it for weeks and, you know, I do see some comments and people do reach out to me and they'll say, I think you're off on Davies or Davies has been, been great. What are you talking about? It's not that he's performing all that bad. He's not like, you know, coming in and being terrible. It's not that it's just that he has not looked the same as he did before. And he has not seen that growth in his game that he should have. Uh, and that's troubling for a lot of reasons. And as I indicated, when we first started talking about this, there are probably some things going on. I mean, this is a kid who's getting a lot of attention. He's still super young, believe it or not. And he's going to go through some big life altering decisions in the next year or two. So I think he's probably got a lot on his mind, you know, and you know, this is this is probably one of those instances where you need him to focus on football and, and leave everything else that's going on in his life. Put that to the back burner for a little bit. Get straight on what is going on within his own game and, and, and have him figure out how he can get to the next level that he ne- needs to be at. And I think that's going to be key for him. I don't think he is on any downward path. I just think he's riding a flat line right now. He needs to to get that arrow moving upward again. And I think he will do it, but it's, uh, you know, it is a standard thing you see across any sport when a young player who has great success early doesn't continue to grow and they rely on the same things. Uh, they get figured out. And when that happens, they have to adjust. I think you see this a lot in quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, you see it a lot in center, young centers in hockey. Uh, there are some very <laughs> interesting traits and similarities as to how those positions think. And, uh, you know, when you look at someone who is an undeniable superstar like Davies and you see him not making that progress, uh, to me, it's a temporary bump in the road. Unless he proves me wrong and he starts to regress a little bit, this is just a, a temporary thing and he'll eventually get through it. But at the same time, we can't pretend like everything has been awesome with him because I, I genuinely don't think that. But uh, I think he'll rebound from this. I think getting that goal will absolutely help his confidence. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he plays with Cancelo being on the opposite side if if Nagelsmann decides to deploy that uh, type of arrangement this weekend or in the near future. Finally, the last big story that we we saw arise this week was just some things about Julian Nagelsmann that were weird. We saw one story where there were some people at the club questioning his judgment because he gave the team two off days, which of course led to fashion week gate with Serge Gnabry. We saw that he's having some communication issues with Jamal Musiala. Like he doesn't talk directly to Musiala. He works through one of the assistant coaches, which I thought was weird. Um, And I think it's weird because it's not the first time we've heard something like this about Nagelsmann, where he doesn't do a good job communicating with the team. Uh, or certain members of the team. Uh, it's it's bizarre to me that, that this would be going on with the player who I think no one would deny is the club's future. So very odd story there. And then I guess finally the 
The last story that we saw had to deal with how tough Nagelsmann was getting at practice in terms of what his demands are and what he expects from the players and that things have taken a dramatic turn with that as he has just gotten harder on them uh, than he was in, uh, previously this season and last season. So Nagelsmann has a lot going on. And I think you'd be crazy to think he's not under an immense amount of pressure. I mean, he's got this big ego, big salary team that's valued at billion. <laughs> a billion dollars or whatever. And he hasn't been able to draw the best out of them yet. He hasn't been bad, right? Like he has not been a bad manager or a bad coach. This team has one loss over the course of the season. So let's not think he he should be close to getting fired because that's ridiculous talk, but he has not come close to also getting the best out of this team yet. A lot of unnecessary draws, a lot of undisciplined play. And I think, all of that adding up, plus the pressure of trying to figure out how to best use the parts that he has and keep everyone happy. I think all of that pressure is just building up inside of him. And, and eventually he's going to blow. He is a powder keg right now. And we're seeing little bits and pieces of it. Whatever's going on between him and Musiala, I, I don't even want to speculate because we don't know if there's legit friction or if it's just how one side or the other wants to handle it. But what we can see is that Nagelsmann said some very complimentary things about Musiala after the Mainz match. We can see that through his comments to the team, Nagelsmann is probably a little frustrated with the team's effort. Like the players are not giving him exactly what he thinks they should be giving him. So I get why he would be frustrated. I get why we're seeing some of these stories come out. But I don't think that we're going to see Julian Nagelsmann on the chopping block anytime soon. Even if they would have lost to Mainz and gotten eliminated from the Pokal, I honestly could not have seen the club reacting in such a way that they would sack him. If he doesn't perform in the Champions League, if they somehow are knocked out in the next round by PSG, or if they lose their grip on the league and don't win the title, I think there would be a lot of questioning, but I think the club's really invested in him, just like Nagelsmann is invested in being the manager here. I think either way, if everything hit rock bottom and they flamed out against PSG and they lost the league and did not win the title, I think he would get one more year. And I think he would be on a very hot seat at that point. But I don't think that it's close right now. I think Brazo more than anyone understands that the players have not always delivered up to their expectations or what the club wanted from them. I think there have been some some very underachieving performances as a team. And I think some of the discipline issues, and maybe this is why uh, Nagelsmann has, has been a little harder on the team. Some of the, the results that they've gotten have been completely unnecessary. They were the result of sloppy plays or undisciplined plays. And Nagelsmann wants to eliminate all of that. So I don't put too much stock in these being club altering or club affecting type stories. I do think Nagelsmann's probably, you know, reaching his limit with how much BS he wants to put up with and that he is going to want more from the players. He's going to want to see more. He's going to want to see better consistency and he's going to want to see better performances. So in the end, I don't think it's much to worry about if you're a Bayern Munich fan, but for Julian Nagelsmann, it is one of those situations where he's really going to have to really manage himself in a way because you do not want this kind of job to to grind on you and burn you out, which we know can happen. And it seems like with the way he has been reacting to some things and some of the stories that we've seen, 
that kind of thing could be going on in the background. So for his sake, I hope that he stays fresh with it. Uh, but I do think uh, on the flip side of it, that having to manage so many of the personalities and figure out ways to, to keep it all together when it can so easily fall apart uh, is really weighing on him. So what I'll end with is just a quick little recap of some of my thoughts on The Last of Us, the most recent episode. Uh, was episode three of the series, and and they picked a kind of a weird strategy for this. With just it being the third episode, they went into a, a pretty much an episode long flashback of Bill and Frank. Who it was an interesting story to watch because I'm a sucker for flashbacks. Uh, I like getting the backstory on things, and I like seeing why maybe some things are the way they are. Uh, it was only interesting that the showrunners decided to do this now because I felt like it was too early in the, the, I guess the show to, to dedicate a full episode to jumping back in time for that amount of the episode. Like I love the flashbacks that we've seen so far and the backstories that we've gotten. And this was a, a great backstory, but I think it would have been more appropriate probably in episode six or seven to learn more about, you know, where, why Joel has access to this arsenal and how it came to be. I would have been okay seeing the episode of, of him, you know, you know, picking up the truck and some weapons and and not needing to know at this point why it's there or, or who owned all of that stuff. Either way, it was a great story. Uh, I enjoyed the episode. I just felt like it was misplaced in the timeline of the show. Uh, to me, I was, you know, I'm still trying to get my, my head around, uh, the two main characters right now, Joel and Ellie, and, and what their journey is going to be like. Uh, the backstories have been fascinating, but just an odd time for me. So very solid episode. I did like it. Uh, I'm enjoying where the show is going. I still am a little skeptical that when we get to the end of the season that I'm going to have you know two big thumbs up for it. But uh, I'm enjoying it as it comes. I love seeing how the world fell apart and and how certain people reacted to it and and how people ended up where they did. Uh, but I'd like to see the main storyline advance a little further before we dive into these basically episode long flashbacks, but either way, uh, you know, I liked it. So I'm not complaining too much. It was just weirdly timed. That'll about do it for me this week. Thanks for listening to the preview show and the weekend warm up. This combo edition uh, gave me twice as much to talk about. So uh, I don't mind that at all, but I appreciate everyone hanging in with us. We're still working on our final solution for where we're going to end up. I think we have it pretty much narrowed down to a couple of options. Uh, we have one bigger option that that we're hoping comes through, but I would say that is a bit of a long shot. It's uh, uh, I think we would probably need a, a much longer track record of success to, to get uh, with this one company, but we're, we're working on that. And, and either way, we will have a solution in place. Uh, but you know, we're trying to find what's going to be best for us and what will give you guys, the listeners, uh, and the commenters, uh, the best version of BPW moving forward. So as always, you can get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweet Meister, Tommy Adams at Tommy Adams 71. And I need no name at BFW. enjoy the game this weekend. Watch that Byron Wolfsburg match. Tell us what you think about it. We're going to have all the great match coverage that we normally have. Tell your friends about our podcast. Get the word out. 
uh, the more successful this becomes, the more attractive we are to some of the people we are talking to. So um, we appreciate any support you guys can give us. Have a couple of beers on me this weekend, and we will see you next time.